The show's about to start. Are you ready? going on welcome to the show this is sports with strawberry ice i'm your host jeff trunapole and as always i bring you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of cincinnati ohio home of the university of cincinnati Bearcats, where we can say it's miller time we got a new head coach i'll get to that here in a second do me a favor if you guys found the show, hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. I'm so close. I'm at 990 subscribers. This is awesome. I am 10. 10 away from 1,000. This is great. Let's keep it rolling. Try to get to 1,000. Now, as always, this show and every show is brought to you by T Properties. If you guys look for a rental property, a house, a condo, apartment, check out T Properties. Their website is www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. All right, like I said, Bearcats, you can say it's Miller time. I'm a Bud Light guy, but I'll go with it. Wes Miller is the new head coach of the University of Cincinnati Bearcats, and I would like to welcome him. Miller is 38. He played collegiately at James Madison and UNC. So he played under now retired head coach Roy Williams. Now this is from Channel 9 last night. This is what Roy Williams had to say about Wes as a player. He got more out of his potential, came closer to reaching his potential than any player I've ever coached. You know, he wasn't a great ball handler. He didn't have a great passing ability, but he could shoot the ball and he's tough as nails, and that's where he made his living. So that's what you like to hear. Tough as nails. Sounds like a Bearcat player or coach to me. His record is 185 and 135 in 10 seasons at UNGC. He led the Spartans to two NCAA appearances. He leaves the school as their all-time winningest coach, and he has had 20 consecutive wins in the past five years. Now, this is what Miller 
said on his uh, statement about being the head coach with the Bearcats. I'm absolutely thrilled to be the head coach at the University of Cincinnati. He said, I am thankful for President Pinto and A.D. John Cunningham for bringing me into the Bearcat family. I am honored to lead such a storied program and excited to get to work. I also can't thank UNGC enough because I wouldn't be here without my players and athletic director, Kim Record. The last decade of coaching the Spartans has been extremely rewarding. He's also been named to ESPN's number one, number one, under 40 head coach out there. He's also was on the athletics under 40, 40 list in the same year. So uh, everybody knows that I wanted Eric Martin, but I can't argue with this, this decision. I think he's going to be a pretty good coach. The thing is, he needs to get him. And this is my statement I put out on the Strawberry Ice page, and I tweeted it out. He needs to get recruits. When we were going to Final Fours and we were going to Elite Eights, now this has nothing to do. I know it's when Huggins was there. This isn't a bash on him. This is not a bash on Cronin. This isn't a bash on anything. This is just a statement of how you win a national championship, and that's what I want to do. I want to win a national championship. We had first-round NBA talents. That's what we had. A lot of it. And the last 20 years, we haven't had that. We need to get back to that. So if he can get the thousands of kids that are in this transfer portal to come here, not all thousand of them, but, you know, he needs five or six of them, we could have a competitive team next year. We'll see what happens. But good luck to him. The press conference is, I think, tomorrow at 1130. But let's get to my guest today. He actually did show up for me today. I really appreciate it. And he is none other than... Evan, what's going on, brother? Oh, you're muted. Hang on. Try that now. I don't know. Your mic's muted. There we go. There we go. That's better. What's going on, man? Hey, how you doing, Jeff? I appreciate you having me on, man. No problem. I I uh, I, I I liked it that you uh, coming on after you uh, were on the Civil War last night, I heard. I didn't get a chance to watch it. I was out celebrating my birthday, but I would definitely check it out when I was uh, after, after we get off here. How, how was that last night? It was great, man. They had uh, Hugh joined us, TJ joined us, Elise Jesse, Matt Minnick. It was a really good group of a uh, really good group of football minds there, and a lot of people in the know. And so it was really good to hear those perspectives and a couple of the narratives on both sides kind of battled out and had a good conversation, man. Just like the first. So if any of you had the chance and haven't seen it yet, I would definitely recommend you go check that out. Yeah, definitely check it out. Ace and Zim do an awesome job on their podcast, Orange is the New Black. I really appreciate those guys. I've had them both on my show. So let's get into this. I told everybody to give us their draft questions. And mine, I, this is what the scenario I want to put it up as. Everybody knows it's either going to be either on Team Chase or you're on Team Sewell. I'm on Team Chase all day, every day. The question is, what are they going to do in the second round? You know, let's say this way. They say they draft. Chase in the first round, what do they do in the second round? And vice versa. What, what do you think they're going to do if they draft Sewell in the first round? What, what would they do in the second round and vice versa that way? Well, I think the first thing to acknowledge is that uh, Malik Wright, of course, of uh, the Wright Sport. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to try and make sure that I don't butcher that. Uh, the <laughs> Wright Sports Network, I believe, yes. is what it is. Yes, yep. there we go. Um, he actually just came out the other day on the Locked on Bengals uh, podcast and said that I think it was a 95% belief that they were going to take Chase. 
So let's go ahead and let's operate in in that kind of that realm first and see what we kind of look at there. So going toward Chase at number five, and there's a couple reasons. Obviously, if you're looking at just prospect to prospect, you can make the argument. But uh, actually, Zim, when I talked a little bit about this off air is that when you start looking at how the Bengals have addressed the wide receiver position versus the offensive line, Mm -hmm. you see they brought Frank Pollock in. They re-signed Quentin Spain. They added Riley Reef, and now they're counting on an addition of a healthy Xavier Sulfilo. Right. Those are all improvements that they've made on the offensive line, or they're viewed as improvements or additions, and especially addition by subtraction by removing Bobby Hart and Michael Jordan, who were just absolute turnstiles for pressure. I mean, they were getting blown right by. But anyways, Mm -hmm. that's beside the point. So the point is – that they have made improvements, though it's not enough and it's not significant enough to discount taking Sewell. Right. But you start to look and say, what did they do at the receiver position where they absolutely need a starter on the outside? Well, they re-signed Mike Thomas. Like, that's it. And <laughs> so y- you know that, yeah, okay, they left a wide receiver-sized hole. That Chase fits it perfectly. We know why Chase is really good. You can check out some of the analytics I talked about yesterday on the uh, Civil War. We'll go ahead. We've already beaten those numbers to death. Let's start looking at what are our potential options in round two if we do end up taking Chase in round one? So you start to look a lot of uh, a lot of people like to pair Alex Leatherwood in there uh, from That's Alabama, yeah. and he is very solid and he has that guard to tackle versatility experience playing both positions that kind of lends him to being a good fit uh, for now, so that they could because they need a starter at right guard. That's essentially the position that is up for grabs right now. They have a right tackle, though obviously there's a future need that's very in the near future. It's not immediate. Right guard and wide receiver are the immediate needs that they have. And so you start looking at this, what could be available there? Obviously Leatherwood has that, and you could kick him out to tackle there after if Riley Reef doesn't work out. There's also talk that maybe Samuel Cosme out of Texas could end up falling there. And that's really one of my favorite targets there. If he does end up falling and uh, being there for the Bengals at the top of round two, he's six foot seven, 309, and tested exceptionally well. And so he's been really, really impressive. So I would like a chance at him. Um, he's also improved his PFF grade from 79 to 83 to 90.8. So you like to see that improvement every single year. Um, there's also a guy like Tevin Jenkins that might fall to that point. He's another guy who 6'6", 320, good size, and he people like to see him finish defenders. Well, go ahead. Yeah, he, he loves to put defenders in the ground. So that's something that I'm sure a lot of the offensive line bully guys can really get behind is his finishing prowess. And he's another guy who improved his grades from a 78 to an 85 and a 92 in his final season. So there are these kind of guys that you can get who in other years – would be round one tackle prospects, but just because it's so heavy at the top and there are so many talented guys like a Rayshon Slater, a Christian Darisol, a Walker Little is a wild card there who has all the athletic tools, but not exactly the experience. So it's really a question mark of where he may go. But you do have these options, even if let's say seven or eight tackles go off the board in the first round, you still are looking at Alex Leatherwood, Jackson Carmen, Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame, who allowed just 27 total pressures and no sacks in two seasons. So while I, and guys like Eichenberg are maybe a little bit 
capped and not quite, uh, they might be at their ceiling a little bit or a little bit closer to their ceiling than other uh, of the more athletic prospects, you are getting a good baseline level of play, which I'm sure if you go back a year or two and say, Bengals fans, would you like a baseline average level tackle? They would say, yes, please. So it's, that's not something to be discouraged by. Just because you don't get Penny Sewell doesn't mean Joe Burrow's going to die. It's not Sewell or Thank nobody. You. Okay, like right. let's get that out of our minds is ridiculous. Like, right, or Darisaw or any of these guys, just getting that average level play is so valuable. People like to talk about, oh, it's one in the trenches. You're right, football in the trenches is very important. The O line collectively is very important. It's when you start looking at the value of individual offensive linemen that you start to see, well, maybe there's more valuable options out there, and the difference between, let's say, the best guard and the 15th best guard is not as big as the gap between the 15th best guard and the 30th best guard. So it's better to be average at all your spots on the offensive line than to say have two all pros and then a bunch of stuff in the middle that are not the best high end guys because, and Daniel Jeremiah actually referenced this and tweeted out yesterday that he was talking with a D line coach in the league And they were talking and came to that same kind of conclusion that it's better to have average across the board because then you don't have those weak links that coaches are game planning to attack specifically. So you will have those guys who are available there at tackle. And of course, also, if they want to say, maybe go, okay, well, tackle is not the immediate need. Like we said, it's a near future need, right? It's very important to be nice to get one. But if we want to go guard, maybe, and look at a guy like Kendrick Green, a Landon Dickerson, a Creed Humphrey, I know those guys are borderline center or guard where you want to put them. Fortunately, Trey Hopkins does have that versatility when he comes back healthy that he can play guard and center. So you can kind of find that combination of the line that works the best for you. So Kendrick Green, another guy that you could look at around that point, taking him in the top of the second round is a little rich. And really the sweet spot for guards is the third round. Usually you can get quality starting guards. And again, we're looking for average to above average play at this point where you can get this cheap and you can get this without spending premium draft capital, which you should save for positions like wide receiver, tackle, edge. Then you can come back and hit round three and fill this immediate need with a guy like Kendrick Green from Illinois that I keep referencing, who improved his grades from a 60 to a 78 to an 88 in the last three years, or a guy like Ben Cleveland, who is an impressive specimen and one of my favorite kind of potential targets for the Bengals in round three to fill their guard need. He's 6'6", 335, but he carries it like Aaron Donald. I mean, you look at this guy and he is just built. It's crazy. It's really, it it doesn't look like he weighs 335. It's really impressive. Actually, I think, uh, I think Joe Goodberry tweeted out a picture of it a couple days ago. And so if you can go back on his timeline, maybe, and check that out, it's worth looking at, but he's really solid and he's done really well. He's allowed just 13 pressures on 606 pass blocking snaps. So at the very least, he's a big, massive human being. You could put in the middle and you can guarantee that He's not going to get pushed back like a tackling sled, like some other members of the offensive line. So really the the big takeaway from chasing round one is, okay, they really want to come back and probably hit their offensive line need. It's probably a little bit early for guard. There are tackles that you can take and play at guard. So I think that's a sweet spot for tackle. You could also look at edge there. And the edge class is a little tricky because you have guys who are – 
really good athletes, but maybe never put together the production, like a Quiddy Pay from Michigan or a Jason Oway from Penn State who tested out of his mind. And then you go, well, he didn't even have any sacks, which of course that doesn't matter so much with PFF when we highly value pressures and understand that sacks are very random. But you could be looking at guys like maybe a Jalen Phillips at that point, who's played exceptionally well when he's been on the field, but has multiple concussions and an injury history that maybe drops him into the second or third round. Gregory Rousseau, who's still just a very raw talent. So I think this, it's a little tricky for the top three or four edges. It's tough to figure mm-hmm. out where they're going to go in what order and when. But as you start to look a little bit later, you can look at guys like a Carlos Basham Jr., who I think would be great for the Bengals. He's 6'5", 285, had two great seasons, uh, 80.4 and 86.7 overall grade. Took a little step back with a 71.2 this past year, but he still uh, accumulated 112 pressures in two seasons. And he's got good size, good length. I I think he could fit what the Bengals would want to do well. So those are just a a couple of options that are out there that I think the Bengals could look at at round two, maybe round three, if they do go the Jamar Chase route to start. Yeah, and that's exactly what my whole point to this thing is, is if they hadn't signed Riley Reef, I would be for Team Sewell, no matter what. You, You didn't address it, the offensive line at all, but they did. And they addressed it in the weakest part. Which, by actually, if you look at the stats from Pro Football Focus, they said our guards are actually were the weakest spot. But uh, Sir Feely was hurt. Spain came in halfway through the season, and I, I think Spain is actually a, a, a better guard than he projected last year because he came in halfway through the season and he never stayed in the same spot. He kept moving around. So mm-hmm. if you can get, like I said, an Alex Leatherwood in the second round, or I'm not sure how you feel about Wyatt Davis. You think he's a he's a good a good choice at, um, in the second round for OSU or? Where we feel about him? Uh, that's tough because there are a little bit of – I have seen questions about his scheme fit. Um, mm-hmm. He wasn't quite as consistent in 2020 as he was prior to that. He had a really good 2019 season, mm-hmm. but he's still there. He only allowed four sacks and hits combined in two seasons. So he's still solid, and like we said, that baseline level of play, you don't need to chase elite guard play. It's right. nice to have, but you don't yeah. have to pay out the butt for it. You don't need to go spending premium draft capital on it. Hit those expensive positions like tackle, like corner, like wide receiver that you're going to have to pay. Oh, sorry, I should specify left tackle because there's some <laughs> sort of seven and a half million dollar discrepancy right. between the two positions <laughs> at the top ten. It's bizarre, but that's the way it is. Take advantage of it. Draft your left tackle. Pay your right tackle. Yeah, exactly, and and that's that's that. I, I, honestly, I think the Bengals have played this perfectly with the offseason, the way they've done it. You know, because they're not they weren't going to pay eighty million dollars for Tooney. They weren't going to pay one hundred and thirty five or whatever it was for Williams. And the two guys that I think that they had uh, tagged to try to go get one got franchised, the other one resigned with his team. So if they weren't going to get Zeitler, which the more I thought about, it, I don't know if Zeitler Zeitler's a really good run blocker, but he's not mm-hmm. a great pass blocker. And we need to run. I'm not saying we can't run. We're not going to run. But I really think this offense is they're going to spread it out and they're going to throw it. I mean, I, I think that's what Zach Taylor's done. And that's what Joe Burrow did at LSU. And that's why if you get Leatherwood, which I keep saying that, and I, I hope I'm right, <laughs> get him, you kick him at guard, and then you get Reef next year, uh, or, or, or you let Reef go next year, you can put Leatherwood back out of tackle. Now, my, my question is, I, I'm the third round. Uh, this is where I'm torn. And – like I said, edge rushers, there's not a ton there. But if the guy, in my opinion, if the guy you want is there, 
Yeah. They should probably go get him because I would like to get a guard too, but you might be able to get a guard in the fourth. Maybe that could be a back. And they would, and I'm not talking about a starter. These would be for, for backups, you know? So, I, so I, I'm not, that's kind of where I'm hoping the draft would go. And that's kind of what you, you've already kind of touched on already about the edge rushers and stuff. And like I said, there's yeah. not a ton of them out there though. No, I, I think that's a very good point. I think also edge might be one of those positions where there's so much, uh, there's not a lot of group think, there's not a lot of um, consistency in how people are ranking these edge defenders. So if that bears, if that plays out the same way in scouting departments for NFL teams, then you're looking at a situation where you may have your top edge on the board sitting there at the third round right. because other people don't value him the same. Or maybe like a guy like Jalen Phillips, everyone wants to remove him from the board for the medicals, but he checked out for your medical staff. I think absolutely they could hit edge in second or third round. And that's what you should do. Like we were saying, use those top three round picks for those premium positions, come back and hit those maybe guard and defensive interior linebacker running back picks in rounds four, five, and six. So Titus has got a question. Uh, if you say I forgot the edge rusher's name, but he's from Miami. Do you think he'd be a good good pick? Uh, Jalen Phillips is one. He was very productive, but again, those are the uh, concussion and injury issues, so medical uh, teams will have to clear him medically. Uh, Gregory Rousseau is interesting because he actually, I believe he played on the uh, same team as Jerry Judy at wide receiver mm-hmm. in high school and then got moved to edge and very late in his high school career and he also opted out of this previous season. So you've got a guy who has athletic tools, but is very, very raw, both at the position and just generally does not have a lot of experience against higher level or even college competition. So there's very much a projection. And you see that with a lot of these kind of edge defenders where, again, P- uh, PFF has Quiddy Pay as edge one and Jason Oway right behind him at 22 and 23 on the big board. These guys are both athletic freaks but they never they didn't produce as much as you would expect from their athletic profile. And then you've got guys like later in the draft, like maybe a Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma. That's pretty interesting. Um, there are guys like Joseph Asai, Rashad Weaver, and you start getting into the later rounds and you're looking at guys like Joe Tryon. I know um, I Patrick Jones. Yes. From Pitt um, off the edge. There's a couple people. Quincy Roche is also another guy from, uh, from Miami that maybe he was, potentially referencing in the mid to late rounds. These are guys that, again, these traits are quite, they either have the traits and not the production or the production and not the traits. And there's various shapes and sizes of these guys, whether they're the smaller outside linebacker or the rush linebacker, which is basically edge defender, right? Or you've got your big burly defensive end type of long guy that the Bengals seem to do and seem to like. And, you know, Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson, right? right? So, um, there's going to be a lot of flavors and not every team is going to have those, those same tastes. So I think there may be an opportunity for the Bengals to get an edge and maybe round three or even round four where they feel like, Hey, he was the top guy on our board at the time. And maybe he was a top three at the position for us. And we got him really late and we feel great about it. So that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, I think it's a definitely a wild card position I also like just as a, a quick throw in, like a Milton Williams, who's a defensive li- interior defensive lineman. But there's actually reports coming out recently. I know he's kind of been circulating around as a favorite as people have been catching up to him. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a report the other day that the Cowboys might consider him as high as 44. So oh, I doubt he makes it. I don't know how, you know, smoke screen season, maybe people are bluffing things up right. But um, it's, it's definitely something that you want to monitor. So. 
maybe it works out and we'll have to see, you know, and that's why they call the draft. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody says, you know, uh, who was Andrew Billings from Baylor? Everybody said first rounder and he fell to the fourth. So, I mean, it's tough. We all say with a, you know, we all, after doing so many months of mock drafts, we all say with certainty, Oh, this guy's going here and this guy's going here. But, you know, again, it's a crapshoot, and the NFL values players differently. We see things like that all the time. Like reports have recently come out that uh, Christian Barmore, the defensive interior out of Alabama, that the NFL is a little bit higher on him than maybe the outside draft community. So there's going to be those kind of discrepancies, and I'm interested to see how they play out and how the Bengals capitalize on that. All right, Ken's got another question here. Um, says Malcolm Cooney, I think I. Ed from Buffalo, is that a, a name you're familiar with? Because I uh, that is not, but I do have the PFF draft guide pulled up. Let me go there you ahead. Go. See, see if this, I can. This is this is why you get you get good guests. <laughs> so good stuff. I like I said I know a little bit about the draft, but I am nowhere near a draft expert. I mean, I I can I know what I want the Bengals to do in the first two rounds, and like I said, the edge is what I'd like. The third pick would be nice, but it just depends on how the draft goes. So this is why I go to the man. I go to Evan Phillips. For the information on this stuff. Yeah, I would definitely recommend everybody get yourself a PFF subscription. The Edge subscription is the basic subscription that'll get you your draft guide. It'll get you a lot of unique content, player season grades, all the fantasy stuff. So it's definitely a great value. Uh, if you're looking for more of the premium stats and a lot of the advanced analytics and signature stats, game by game grades, the stuff you can really sink your teeth into along with daily fantasy tools, betting, all of that you can get with a PFF Elite subscription. So, so definitely a, recommend checking it out. <laughs> so it, it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, the tools are invaluable, especially if you're trying to dominate your league or your fantasy season. Uh, right now, I'm not seeing that we have him on our big board. So yeah. he's yeah. probably off the board and probably is just going to be considered as one of those later options that maybe they could get in the late rounds. That if, again, it's going to be – your particular flavor at the D line position, especially in those later rounds, typically, um, typically you're not seeing those guys. Uh, edge is a position you don't really see um, contribute much toward the end because there's um, there's a baseline athleticism that they almost need to meet. Oh, okay, here, hang on, I found him. It's uh, he was listed as an edge, not a defensive interior. I apologize. Ah, so, uh, pro comparison, Mario Addison, he's a natural athlete, and the biggest weakness they have listed here is that he struggles through contact. So, looking at this, uh, I wish I could show this to you on the screen real quick, but... Um, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I, I could share it, but I, that would be me. I'd have to share it. <laughs> okay, so you all just have to take my word for it. I'll read this here for you. So, he had an 84.4 pass rush grade, a 74.3 run stop grade. He was well above average in his true pass rush grade, which... When you look at true pass sets for an offensive lineman or true pass rushes for an edge or any type of uh, pass rusher, what they're doing is PFF eliminates the noisy plays that have a lot of variance to them, like play action, rollouts, things of that nature that are designed in a specific way that aren't necessarily like screens, that aren't necessarily indicative of a true opportunity to rush the passer or block the uh, defender who's uh, oncoming and trying to pressure the quarterback. So a good value, uh, you get a much more, uh, a better understanding and a stable statistic by eliminating that noise. And so what you get is true pass rush grades and pass blocking on true pass sets. And so he had a 75.9 true pass rush grade, which is above average by about six or seven points. 
he was looked pretty good at doing that. And he's definitely got a good build. He's flexible with his arms. It's just the negatives on him are that there's not much there in terms of strength. Uh, he can push around sometimes in the run. His strikes and pass rush plan just aren't quite there, and he doesn't have that strong bull rush. But this is definitely a guy that you could get maybe in the fourth or fifth round, like uh, like we were saying earlier with a Patrick Jones or some of these guys who might fall into that range. There's really a healthy supply of uh, edge rushers and interior talent that can be had in the fourth and fifth rounds that you don't need to pay that premium for the first round or the second round because there are question marks with all of these guys. It's You've heard recently that it's a very weak interior defensive class after the top, after Christian Barrymore. And I know Milton Williams has become a favorite, but after that, it really is just a lot of nose tackles and guys that you're, you're probably just not going to want to pay a premium for that. If you miss out on them, it's okay. There's a prospect similar to them or similarly graded on your board. Right. Now I just now I'll get back to, to Chase because because my biggest point to to getting Chase is I think there's only one Chase uh, and I, I think the advantage we have with him is he's already worked with Joe Burrow and they dominated in the SEC. To me, I think again if they had not signed Riley Reef, I would be going Sewell. But since they signed Reef and you can get a guard in the second round, that's why I think Chase is. Now, what's your grade out on Chase as a a wide receiver and projection onto him. Cause I think it's, it's up. It's, you know, arms out of the screen right now. I think it's all, he's off the charts. Right, right, right. So that's, he, he's one of the most impressive receiver prospects that we have seen since Amari Cooper. And I know that some people will disagree with that. They don't like it. He's, not your traditional receiver in the sense of, oh, man, look at him just running crisp routes and creating three yards of separation. Look at how open he's getting. That's so impressive. That's crazy. Look at him fly. But he does have a little bit of pickup. And obviously, you look at his testing numbers, and he has gotten more athletic since he – if you look at his tape and then look at those numbers, you, yeah. you may not think they match up at first glance. So looking at just – where he ranks in terms of other receivers who have come out since about 2014 or 2015 when PFF started collecting college data, he ran a 4.38 second 40-yard dash in the 98th percentile. He posted a 41-inch vertical, 96th percentile, 13-foot broad jump, 96th percentile, 3.98 second short shuttle, 97th percentile. So his athletic profile is up there in the top 3% basically across the board at all of these, which are indicative of explosion, speed, lateral ability, which he's not particularly shifty on his tape. He uses a lot of his strength to get off and create leverage and then uses a good job of stacking his uh, the defenders behind him, creating that leverage, and then creating separation by altering his speed a little bit. One of the comps I really like on the high-end side is DeAndre Hopkins, where yes. the guy may yes. not be a burner, but the man has that subtle arm push to get open, all these little savvy techniques of slow acceleration and deceleration, when he has the ball in his hands in the open field, which is something the Bengals don't have right now and desperately need, forget that he's one of the best deep threats that PFF has seen in the last four or five years. He's also exceptional with the ball in his hands. And though he's not juking out defenders like Jalen Waddle, maybe right. forced a higher missed tackle rate than Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith or Rashad Bateman or Elijah Moore. His forced missed tackle rate of 0.25 ranks in the 93rd percentile of all power five receivers with 100 catches since 2014. So all the power five receivers who are out there 
getting the majority of their their offensive targets he ranks in the 93rd percentile among all them so when you're saying he's not shifty well that's not to say that he doesn't get away from defenders because he does he does like deandre hopkins he sees the open field very well and understands the leverage of each defender and how to attack and destroy these angles so that you can't get a direct hit on him and with him being built like a running back and being so strong that's hard to bring that man down, especially for defensive backs. So you're talking about a guy who's very special with the ball in his hands, very special athlete. You start looking at what he brings downfield, his average depth of target of 13 and his uh, yards per reception of 19.5, ranking the 98th and 100th percentile wide receivers. So he was just at an absolute monster looking down the field. He's not necessarily sudden. And, you know, people don't like that. Oh, he can't accelerate and decelerate suddenly. And there's a little bit of truth to that. Yeah, but there's no reason to think that looking at his testing numbers, he hasn't become more explosive in his movements. So that's really exciting to see those. And when you start looking at some of the most stable metrics that PFF has going year to year to try and predict success, you're looking at your receiving grades, whether that's for single coverage or zone, you're looking at your separation, your yards per route run, your average depth of target, and your yak per reception, right? A dot, we said he ranked in the 98th percentile among receivers in the last five years. Great, awesome. Receiving grade, he was in the 99th percentile in receiving grade among wide receivers entering the NFL from 2015 to 2021. He had a 92.4 PFF grade when facing man coverage. He excels at some of these most stable metrics, and the only really concerning one is separation. And we'll talk about that here in a second, but I did want to touch on his deep ability because I referenced that, and I want to make sure we're very clear that, yes, he ran that 4-3-8, and on tape he doesn't look like a burner. That does not mean that he is not a deep threat because this guy can high point the ball, fight through contact, track the ball as good as anybody because in the same vein as DeAndre Hopkins, every year, and I'm guilty of it too, by week three or four, someone's going to watch DeAndre Hopkins or, or Jamar Chase make an exceptional jump ball grab and go, yo, this guy is six foot, six foot one. And he plays like he's six four. Like when you just think in your mind, you're like, how big is DeAndre Hopkins? Got to be like six three, six four. And it's like, right. he's out here six one and he's mossing everybody. Yep. So when you're looking at the actual numbers behind it, he had 24 deep catches in that one season, which is the most we've seen in a single season. And it ranks first among receivers over the last two seasons, despite he didn't even play last season. And he, he did that at 19. He was 19. Against, the NFL, or against corners who are playing in the NFL now. It, I mean, that, that was my point. That was my exact point. Diggs look stupid, and I'm yeah. an Alabama fan. <laughs> that was my so, exact point when I was on, on the, the first Civil War. I, I, I said, this is what he did. And I, I used it for pro football focus. What he did against NFL caliber corners, he killed them at 19. Exactly. He killed them. That's all. Like you can't if if you can't pass this guy up. I mean, they. I just that's right. where I'm. You you've got me fired up. I'm ready for. The, I want to draft you. Now. Hey, I'm, hey, I'm getting myself fired up, man. I mean, you're sitting here and you're looking at this guy, and this receiver is a, an exceptional athlete, special with the ball in his hands, unique strength and physique. He's got an exceptional deep ball ability. I mean, the the biggest thing you're sitting here and nitpicking him is going, okay, well, let's look at his separation, right? Okay, we know he's great. He's fearless at the catch point, unfazed by contact, shields the body, uses it well to make sure that the defender can't make a play on the ball. Great. Okay, what about the concerns? Well, let's talk about it, all right? So separation, 
He ranked in just the 51st percentile in separation percentage when looking at single coverage, looking at 78 recent NFL caliber prospects. So we're talking about a smaller sample there, but he's in the average range in terms of the separation he got in that season. Again, though, he was younger. He's still got the job done, has gotten more explosive, and chases that type of receiver who, or like a Hopkins, who doesn't need to use his routes like a Stefan Diggs or a Jerry Judy to create three yards of space to catch the ball. He just needs a yard of separation or a window. And people say, well, that's not enough. And oh, well, then you need a quarterback and who can throw it in that window. Well, guess what? Joe Burrow has that one. And he can throw a football into a football size window. Yep. So I don't have any qualms about that. There we go. The separation, he's got improved athleticism, a quarterback whose accuracy at all levels of the field can take advantage of what separation and leverage he can get. And if you're, he's a good route runner, he can still improve a little bit as a route runner and a little bit. He can invite contact almost a little bit on press sometimes to where you almost think he's challenging people saying, I'm so darn strong. I'm just going to throw you off me. I don't care. So there, he can get a little bit cleaner with maybe his finesse on some of the releases, but I don't think that's a big deal. We're sitting here nitpicking this guy at this point. Um, you're talking about other concerns maybe if we're getting super nitpicky. Okay, he's about six foot tall. Maybe his catch point dominance doesn't transfer exactly the way it did in college. Well, that's fine. He's got short arms. He's a little bit short, but he's got the great tracking ability, the high pointing ability, strong hands and fights through contact. I have faith that even though catch uh, contested catches are generally unstable year to year, that he has that ability and it's not going to disappear. He may not be elite at it, but he is always going to be consistently reliable because of those skills. So again, we're going back to, okay, well, what are the other concerns? Production from Joe Burrow because he was so good. Well, he's going to be playing with Joe Burrow. Mark it off the list. Worried about it, right? And he's got only one year of production. So that's really like you're talking about, okay, he's not the traditional elusive sudden receiver, at least at that point. He may right. be right. based on his athletic numbers. And you're talking about production with a with an all-star quarterback who you're going to be pairing him up with anyway. So I just you really are starting to get into the nitty gritty. Like if I was going to pick apart Penny Sewell, I'd say, well, he only has 200 true pass sets. We were talking about career set or pass sets with right. all yeah. the extra noise removed. He's only got 200 true drop back, protect the quarterback pass sets. Now you can sit there and use that as a reason to bash Penny Sewell. You're nitpicking. The guy is so good. He, he moves like he moves like a deer at 3:30. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. So it, it, we're getting nitpicky with these guys. They're both exceptional prospects. Bengals fans should be happy with either. Um, it's just looking at the individual value of one offensive lineman versus one wide receiver and what they offer, and kind of comparing that value along with the moves that the Bengals have made. Like we've said a couple moves on the offensive line to make them feel more comfortable, not necessarily to fix it, right. but not really any moves at wide receiver. So with that in mind, Chase seems like the easy pick and we can just, you know, get rid of the, you just want him because you play with Joe Burrow or you like fantasy. He's good. <laughs> He's good. Shiny new weapons and yeah. you like the sexy right. pick. Like, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done right. with it. Right, right, exactly. I just want to remind everybody about halfway through here, I, I try to do this to everybody what you're watching. You're watching Sports with Strawberry Ice. And my guest for Pro Football Focus is Evan McPhillips, and he is killing it right now, I would just say. Um, 
If you guys are watching it on any of the uh, Facebook groups or if you're watching it on Twitter, please do me a favor. Go to my YouTube channel and please subscribe because I am at 990 subscribers. So I'm very, very close to 1,000, and I greatly appreciate all of you guys. Now, I had a question uh, in a chat a while ago. Uh, it was from Jen, and I, this is kind of what I, I wanted to know too is since the Bengals really don't have a kicker, is there any good kickers that they can get like, you know, sixth, seventh round? Or is that is that a, an option or – or is there anybody worth drafting, or you just wait till the you sign them as uh, undrafted free agents? It's definitely an option, but there's so many. I, you could use a seventh round pick on them, but you're basically that's like uh, the seventh round flyer is basically like claiming an undrafted free agent, right? So you certainly could use that. Uh, it's probably better served on a position like a long shot position, like you know the maybe the, you get like a guy like a Travion Williams, a running back who can contribute in those rounds where maybe you have a specific role picked out for him. Um, you can get a guy who can be a, a contributing role player, which generally will be more valuable than the kicker when you can get these specialists that are free agents that are capable, or you can get some of these guys that are capable and proven as opposed to just, you know, spending that draft capital on these kickers where obviously you've got the Robert Aguayo pick. That was way too high for a kicker. That's, yes. that's silly. You get a little <laughs> bit to the Jake Elliott pick where it's like, you know, you let the guy be competition in camp, end up cutting him anyway. So it's, even if you do pick a kicker, he might not be the kicker you go with. You, If you bring in a seventh-round guy, you're bringing in someone else to compete with him. You're not banking on that guy being successful. And at that point, you'd probably rather take that flyer on maybe one of the edge defenders who falls with question marks or just someone you feel like everyone's missing out on and you at least want to have the chance to bring him into camp and see if maybe you were right in your evaluation and someone missed something. All right, so you touched on, on the running backs and with the Bengals uh, cutting Giovanni Bernard. Um, is there a running back in this draft that I think they need to replace Gio? Because Mixon does what he does. Piron does a similar similar game. I, I don't think we have a guy on the roster right now that can replace Gio in what he does in his, uh, you know, from the backfield catches, bubble screens, dump off passes. I don't know if we necessarily had that because Joe Mixon isn't the greatest at it. Mm -hmm. Gio is definitely better at it. So I, that's something that I think they might address in, in the draft too. What are you looking at as, as running backs in the, in the draft? I definitely like the idea of adding that kind of receiving back. Uh, I think they probably have kind of generally what they want in Joe Mixon and then some AJP rhyme. But seeing someone like a, a maybe – now, this is tough because – with PFF big board and looking at their value, positional value is baked in, right? And so the running backs are going to be a little bit lower than you would probably expect. Linebackers, uh, interior defensive linemen, they're probably going to be lower than the consensus. But if you're looking at kind of that that fourth round like and later area, maybe you get a guy like a Kenneth Gainwell from Men Memphis. I think maybe there's probably a couple guys who are or a couple teams that might be a little bit higher on him and take him in the late third, early fourth. Um, a guy like Demetric Felton from UCLA who actually ran with the wide receivers at the senior bowl and looked pretty capable. Um, you could take a guy like Chuba Hubbard at the end of the getting closer to the end. But when you start getting back toward the end, you're just trying to take guys that you think might be able to contribute. I like a guy like a Trey Sermon from Ohio state. I wouldn't mind taking a shot at them and seeing what you could get out of these running backs with maybe a fifth round pick. If someone ends up falling another guy is like maybe a JV on Hawkins out of Louisville. So 
there's a couple names you don't need to reach on running back. There are going to be, especially if you're only looking for a, a role-playing receiving back or pass blocker. Another thing they can do is just maybe not have a running back back there. When you got Jamar Chase and everyone else, if you want to use your tight ends, they're spreading it out a lot more. They're going four and five wide as much as anybody. Maybe you keep the tight end on, on attached to the end of the line and just say, we don't need the running back or you put Joe Mixon in the slot and let him go to work. So that's, you know, there, there's a couple different ways that you can be flexible with that. And you don't necessarily need to reach again. It's going to be a lot of the Bengals. I want to see them take those project players at, either premium positions or positions of need toward the end of the draft guys that they think could be role players or just somewhat of a contributor in case they need that depth at positions like corner or maybe offensive line at some point in the season. Now I have a question. Well, I'm a Bearcat fan. You can see the Jersey back there. So what are the, as far as my Bearcats go, is there a guy that's out there on the team that could get drafted this year from, from the university of Cincinnati? Yes. Uh, well, drafted or drafted by the Bengals? Because those are going to be either. Well, either way. Okay. Uh, well, drafted by the Bengals, uh, maybe, uh, maybe a guy like a James Hudson, mm-hmm. um, who, yeah, he's only got the one year as the starter, and you know has been moved around a little bit. Um, he's kind of like that end of round three, early round four kind of target. If the Bengals maybe haven't addressed the uh, the offensive line really to that point, but. I think there's maybe some other options that you might find more appealing at that point. But again, uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. The Bengals right. may think that and the Bengals may see the PFF board and complete inverse, you know, you, you right, never right, know. Right, so, right. Um, another guy, obviously James Wiggins was really exciting. Uh, maybe they can use him as kind of just a depth piece, but right. he is later in the PFF big board. He's going to be that kind of later round target. So if they want to kind of fill out their safety room a little bit with like, you know, they don't have Sean Williams there. They obviously have Brandon Wilson, Jesse Bates, Vaughn Bell. If they want to add a little more depth, that's something I would like where, you know, they add a hometown guy like James Wiggins, mm-hmm. have him backing those guys up and, and the safety rotation. And maybe he has to contribute a little bit. He can help you on special teams, but that's, you know, you're not necessarily looking for these guys to contribute right away. They are going to be that kind of mid-tier prospect in that round four or five range. Exactly. Now, uh, Jennifer, and I know my boy Jeremy D, who's usually on the show with me, uh, is Ohio State fans. Uh, they want to know about Trey, Trey Sermon. Uh, is he, I mean, I, I'm, I was shocked when he came out, and the projections that I've seen is like a fifth-round pick, and I'm not sure why you lead score for a fifth-round pick, but I don't know what you guys got him at. That's generally about the area that uh, we have him projected. Um, he's got great contact balance. He just doesn't have the the necessarily like the the high end speed, but he does have good start stop ability, which is appealing. Um, he just wasn't really he he just wasn't used in the passing game, so he's a little bit of a question there. And he, again, if you don't have the speed to get away from NFL or from college linebackers in the Big Ten, then you probably aren't going to have the speed to get away from the NFL guys. So maybe he's going to be one of those guys who kind of picks up what's blocked for him, which is not necessarily a bad thing. If you subscribe to PFS theory about building an offensive line, the things that dictate running back success are offensive line quality, box count, like coaching scheme, and then running back. Running back is almost at the bottom of the list because you sit there and go, oh, you can make your excuses for the running back. Oh, his offensive line's terrible. His coach, right. the offensive line coach is terrible, or the run game coordinator, or, you know, the look at all the defenders in the box. Okay, well, shoot, if we've got to make 
three excuses or three things all have to be going right for a running back to have the opportunity for success. Maybe we should worry about those three things before we worry about running back. But that's a conversation for a different day. Um, he would be a decent guy for that, where a good example is Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay came in as an undrafted free agent and ran for, I think it was like almost five yards per carry before first contact on average. And the reason was the offensive line was creating giant holes for him where he wasn't even getting touched. And he looked exceptionally good. And everyone said, wow, look at his rushing stats. Well, he had a lot of good open holes. So maybe they can build that way where he fits that mold of, hey, he's going to pick up what the offensive line is blocking, but that's okay because he doesn't need to outrun defensive backs. We're not looking for the home run hitter. We're looking for a guy who can pick up what's blocked, push through contact, which Trey Sermon can, and comfortably get us yards and not be a net negative every time he touches the ball, which generally, if you're looking at expected points added, those short runs by running backs are negative value. Yeah, and the, the running back is just position in general has been declassified the last God, 10 years or more. I mean, just, and that's one of the reasons I was not surprised that the Bengals released Giovanni Bernard because they were spending so much money in the run, running back room with, you know, the, the contract they gave Mixon and the resigning of Piron. I wasn't shocked that they, they let uh, – Geo go. I mean, I love Geo. I think he's been a, he's a great fit. And I think we have to replace him for the stuff that he provided for the Bengals. So that that's where the running back uh, does get cl- declassified. But let's talk about your uh, appearance last night on the uh, Civil War Two, and you uh you and um uh, Hugh Jackson had some uh, interesting uh conversations last night. How how uh, how did that go? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great, man. Hey, he was out there campaigning hard for uh, for his guy, Sewell, and I respect that, man. He was out there, and, and, and he's, to his credit, he's very confident that Sewell would be able to block the guys he's going to face in the AFC North, like a Miles Garrett, like a TJ Watt. I understand the, the desire to have a, a very good pass blocking tackle that you feel like he's a set it, forget it type of guy. When you have to see those guys twice a year, when you have to see the Ravens twice a year, who are one of the best teams in the NFL at scheming up pressures and having diverse looks in that, uh, in that ref, in that regard. Um, he he did a he definitely campaigned real hard and uh, he he definitely didn't he didn't seem too interested in the analytics of uh, <laughs> what makes Jamar Chase uh, such an appealing option. Right. He he wanted to know if Jamar Chase could play, which I, I think Jamar Chase can play, but I can understand you know he he's he's of the mindset that he wants to build a good solid offensive line and that's going to make the passing offense and the running offense better. And I can understand that you're protecting the quarterback. You're making your passing game better. You're making your running game better. And like you said, if they don't sign Riley reef, yeah, you're probably sitting here going, it's soul no brainer. But when you start looking at that and going, man, and then you start thinking, okay, I understand Jonah's got his uh, injury issues there. You still need to evaluate whether he can capably play all season. And he's done well when he has been in there. And again, we're chasing average above average. We don't need the best offensive lineman in the NFL. But the thing about, like I said earlier, with the top 10 salaries averaged together for left tackle are like 18.4 million. I believe the number is the top 10 at right tackle is 11.4. We're talking a $7 million difference. Now, people like to say, okay, offensive linemen, the the quality tackles, right? Take Sewell because quality tackles don't hit the market, right? Well, if they do, then you can sit there and say, well, the Bengals don't like to overpay for linemen, but shoot, 
you can get a top 10 right tackle for $11 million on average. That's in the Bengals price range. Now you're, you're not saying that for the left tackle, obviously where you're paying almost $20 million for these top guys. But if you're talking $15 million for the top three, right tackle 11, if you're talking about even seven or eight for an average right tackle, again, we don't need to, to splurge on elite. You just want to make sure you're solid across the board. So there's no weak points to attack. And I think I, I respect Hugh's position in the, especially in the AFC North, you know, you want to have that ability to be very physical, but I would also counter by saying that is the way it's been done. But if your team is starting to take shape into this aerial attack with this spread offense, don't force yourself. Don't force a square peg into a round hole. Mm-hmm. If you're building out to be more like the chiefs or like the, everyone says the early Steelers Well, shoot. I remember the Steelers having, excellent receivers for years and tearing people up by and hated them. Them. Mm-hmm. So, and, by, and by the way by the way we refer to yeah. them as the squealers on the show if you call the them squealers, squealers think, okay. yeah that's yeah. cussing on my show so we're sitting way up there the, yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah that the, one that one, one that exactly one, yeah we won't we won't name them <laughs> well, no, well, I, now, so, uh, I, I think i'm sorry go ahead no i'm just gonna uh since the uh we're getting close to i said i'll give you an hour so or i let you be I, you would give me an hour, so I want to don't want to take any more time time up for me. But this is a person that the Bengals just picked up that was in the draft last year, and I'm curious what the uh, Pro Football Focus or what you think about uh, uh, Thaddeus Moss and how he might work. Will he even make the Bengals? Does he have a shot? What, what do you think about? Because he was a guy that I wanted the Bengals to draft last year because of the chemistry he had with with Joe freaking Burrow and. I, I, he went to Washington, and I think he had both feet operated on, so he never really got to uh, even a chance to play. And I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to over get too excited about this, but I don't think it's it's a win win for the Bengals to take a chance on on him. And if he can come anywhere close to what he did at LSU with Joe freaking Burrow, I think it's it's pretty good. So I, I don't know what you guys think about him on Pro Football Focus, sir. Uh, he was definitely toward the the back. Of course, we're we're talking a little bit of positional value here with tight end too. Um, right, right. You're you're looking at a guy who is definitely going to be taken toward the back of the uh, back of the draft. He's not quite your standard tight end size that maybe everybody would like. He's listed at six three two forty nine. Um, he's just he's solid. Yeah. He, he's he's not spectacular. He he's not going to you know. I think it's unfair of uh, to expect. Yes. A lot of him. I think you should be pleasantly surprised with anything he gets. I think he does have a chance to make the roster, but I would say it's slim. I would say he might be one of those guys that you want to experiment in a couple of preseason games with. And toward the end of the stretch there, maybe he ends up getting the ax. But like you said, that chemistry with Joe Burrow, that friendship with Joe Burrow. Honestly, if we're if we're playing with house money here, Given him a veteran contract just to keep him. I know roster spots are extremely valuable. I do. But, you know, if you can use him either on special teams or you have a plan for him in the rotation somehow, if you can find some way to justify keeping him on the roster, if he can prove to be useful to you on the field, I think it behooves the Bengals to keep him, not just obviously to to please Joe Burrow and do whatever Joe Burrow wants, but just for the sense of, if we can use the depth and we have a guy who makes our quarterback that we would like to keep and that we're going to have to pay in three or four years, right after Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen get massive extensions, uh-huh. then 
you're going to want to keep him happy and, you know, hopefully everything goes well over the next couple of years in Cincinnati. And that only adds to his reasons to stay. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to get too excited about this. You know, I, I just think, you know, it's, it's worth it's a chance. Good. I mean, because it's not going to cost you anything. I mean, right. worst case, you cut him. You could always keep him on the I – mean, it's a roster spot. You keep him on the practice squad and maybe develop him. Cause, you I love mean, to see it, the Bengals taking flyers and just being yes. aggressive like this, right? right? The, Tack, the Tack McKinley uh, pickup didn't work out. They didn't clear him medically, but that was a good shot, and you want to see them take advantage of those shots when they have right. the high waiver position, when they have these guys who become available. So just seeing them bring him in is encouraging. Hopefully – with the free agent spending they've been doing, with this more kind of aggressive searching, it seems, for for guys who may be uh, floating around that could be useful either in a rotation or in uh, on special teams. It's definitely encouraging to look at uh, and see the Bengals taking those strides. So hopefully with a lot more health and consistency, especially on the offensive line this season, hopefully you can see a much more uh, functional offense and Zach Taylor can really kind of try and spread his wings and demonstrate what he is as a coordinator, because I think there are still questions about just how good of an offensive schemer he is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And the game that I brought up last year is, I think, is the most insight to how the Bengals offense will look is the Tennessee game. I, I think the way that offense ran, I think that's more what Zach Taylor wants to do. Now, not having this this terrible offensive line the last couple of years, it's been really hard for Zach to be able to scheme. I mean, Basically, all Joe Burrow could do last year was take a three-step drop and get rid of the ball. <laughs> that's that's all he could do. So, with right. the addition of Riley Reef and hopefully uh, Leatherwood, you know, put him at guard, we'll have the the. That's why I'm I'm, I'm praying he's there because I mean, it's not a definite that he's going to be there. Somebody could jump up and take it because he is he is a right. tackle. He can play tackle. So Someone that's, will be there. Someone in the yeah. top seven or eight tackles will be there, and they will yeah. get a well, back end of the first round talent type. Right, and that's that's what I keep saying about about drafting drafting Chase. This offensive line in the uh, in this draft is so deep, and and since we have the wide Reef, receiver position, really, I don't think it is. I yeah, it's, it is. Well, not, there's definitely it, guys well, that can contribute. Yeah, you but, got uh, to me. You, you got the top uh-huh. five. Five. You you, you got right. Waddle. You got Chase. You got Smith. Oh, you put Pitts there. After that, it's kind of a drop off. You right. know, those you guys, guys are already first in the Marshall tier with Elijah Moore, I think. But after yeah. that, yeah. you start getting into those receivers who, like we talked about before, great athletes with weird production, like a Kadarius Tony. Like mm-hmm. he's he's older, he's talented with the ball after his hands, but he seemed to have mental mistakes and isn't quite as polished as you'd like for an older player, but he still has exceptional ability after the catch and these are the, the the type of people that you know they go in after the fact you can get a wide receiver anywhere right well right it's easy to look back at these project guys after you've seen them in the nfl for three years and go oh yeah he turned out great it's like well, yeah he overcame like three different question marks well, to get there like it's, 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 okay, yeah, it's, just, it's just like everybody says oh well you passed up patrick mahomes nobody knew patrick mahomes was gonna be this damn good in the nfl I'm like, right. if they did, he would have been the number one pick in the draft. So that's why I always say it's a draft. But with the offensive line, to me, you got Sewell and you got Slater and you got everybody else. And everybody else is pretty close in talent. It's, it's and they're not that far away from Sewell or Slater. So that's right. where I'm like, I don't, you know, I, I don't like, like Zim says, I'm not scared. You don't play scared. You know, you right. don't draft scared. You draft and, and go after these people. So that's why I say, say, go get Chase, go get a guard. In the second round, and I think we're gonna be pretty fun to watch next year. But well, so. my man, I appreciate you coming on. 
Hey, gave me a you. whole hour and a ton of information. I greatly appreciate I would love to have you on again sometime. We'll definitely have to do this again. Absolutely. Maybe after the draft sometime when we have some more uh, some more concrete results, we can dive into a little bit and we can get a little more in the weeds with some of the numbers and some of the signature statistics that we can look at for those guys. Sounds great to me. And if you guys missed it, check out the Civil War 2. Two. Evan was on there last night. He was on my boy's uh, podcast, Orange is the New Black. So check those guys out. And Evan, again, I greatly appreciate you coming on. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me. I had a blast. All right, brother. Take it easy, man. Thanks. Thanks. You too. Well, that was a lot of fun. He's full of a ton of information. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. I, I geek out on that stuff. I, I like I like hearing all that stuff and all the different numbers. And, you know, I, and funny, I'm not a big uh, uh, analytics guy, but I do like it. I'm not, I hate it in baseball. It's weird. I hate it in baseball, but football, when it comes to the draft, I love it. But the thing is, to me, it all still goes by the eye test. I still go by that. That's why I'm so big on Leatherwood. That's why I like him. I want him. I want him in the second round. I hope he's there. There's a chance he might not be. But either way we go, I think there should be a good guard that we can take in that second round and solidify our offensive line. So, And as if you heard all the insight he said about Chase, Chase, man, you can't pass that guy up. If you have Boyd, Higgins, Chase, oh my, it's worth it. You do it. You go for it. Don't play scared. I don't want the Bengals to play scared. I don't want them to draft scared. Because, like I said, Carson Palmer got hurt. We had a really good offensive line. Andy Dalton got hurt. Broke his thumb. Had a really good offensive line. It's football, people. Is a chance he can get hurt. I hope he doesn't. But he's on his way back, and Joe freaking Burrow is going to play game one. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to start guaranteeing that here soon. But I want to get to the Facebook groups that let me live stream. I appreciate every single one of you guys. Uh, make sure you guys, if you are Bengals, Reds, Bearcat fans, go to these groups and join. And again, uh, shout out to all the other groups that are let me live stream. I appreciate every single one of you guys, but I can't do shout outs for everybody because I'll be here for 20 minutes. But I appreciate you guys just uh, going with the original ones that have always been supporting me there. Who Day Nation. Cincinnati Reds, running third, heading for home. Bearcat country. Like I said, we got a new coach. His uh, press conference is tomorrow at 11.30. So I'm trying to get Justin Williams from The Athletic to come on. That would be cool. Well, I'll be surprised if he comes on. But, hey, Justin, if you're watching the show, come on tomorrow. We can have a good conversation about our new head basketball coach. The Ohio State Bucknuts. The Ice Bar is just a virtual bar. You hang out, have fun, talk sports, talk crap. It's fun. And then you can follow me on my social media platforms, all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Facebook where I have 989 likes. Followers, I'm up to 1,068. That is awesome. Please, if you're watching in any of those, and Twitter, I have 344 followers. If you're watching on Facebook or Twitter, please go sub subscribe to my YouTube channel. Like I said, I'm at 990 subscribers, 10 away. That is what it was when I started the broadcast. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok. I will be pulling the sound off of this. So if you guys missed any of this great information that Evan gave me, tell your friends, tell your neighbor, go check out the podcast. It's on Apple iTunes, uh, Beanpot, Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. And do me a favor, like, rate, and review. Give me a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. And other than that, 
There's no Reds game tonight. I think I'm going to go watch the Civil War 2. So if you missed any of the show, watch my show. Then go watch the Civil War 2. My boys, Ace and Zim, they do a great job. And other than that, that's just sports, baby. See ya!